Welcome to the 1844 Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Lowell. This podcast will normally feature guests if I can get them. Today, we'll do an episode with just me so that any potential guests will understand what they're getting into. This podcast is about cricket, but from the perspective of those who have grown up with the major sports of the U.S., those being NFL football, Major League Baseball, National Basketball Association, National Hockey League, PGA Golf, MLS Soccer, and the college and women's versions of these sports and then who came to cricket later. You certainly don't have to be an American to be a guest or a listener, but if you grew up loving these American sports and then discovered cricket, or if you want a better understanding of how cricket fits into the U.S. sports landscape, this is a podcast for you. The podcast is called 1844 because that was the year that the first international cricket match was held between Canada and the United States. I've heard this date mentioned many times when talking with people in the cricket community in the U.S., who are trying to convince other Americans that cricket is an American sport with deep American roots. I'm skeptical that this works, but I thought it would be a good touchstone to help understand what this podcast is trying to accomplish. Cricket is an American sport with a long American history. We somehow managed to turn away from it in favor of other sports, but with the advent of the internet and other global forces, it's making a comeback. And I wanted to create a space where those of us who are welcoming it back into the American sports fold can compare notes and help each other push the game forward on these shores. The podcast will typically have three segments because that's the magic number of segments for all of my favorite podcasts. The first segment will focus on the week's guests and how they came to cricket and what their viewpoint is on the sport and its present, past, and future. The second segment will consist of me and the guest comparing notes on the past week or two of cricket action and what we're looking forward to in the future. The third segment will be a game of sorts. What does this remind you of? The guests and I will go through some recent events in the game and talk about what similar events in the history of the major American sports that these remind us of and why. Finally, we'll have super overs, where the guests and I each talk about a specific cricket-related topic that we've prepared in advance. Since this first podcast has no guest, I'll submit myself to the format. As I said, I'm Tim Lowell. I'm 52. I live in the Houston area, and I work as an engineer. I'm married, no kids, and I'm a lifelong baseball fan. I was a longtime Mets fan because of my father, but I have recently switched allegiance to the Astros because I no longer wanted to waste my time on the Mets owners, who have proven time and again to be incompetent, and who have stated they will never sell the team. I also follow the NFL, specifically the New England Patriots, very closely, and I have since I was nine. That's gone pretty well of late, as you may know. Uh, I don't watch other sports much. I do occasionally watch the PGA and the LPGA, and I'll tune into the NBA or NHL or an MLS game once or twice a year. I like the U.S. men's and women's national soccer teams, and I'll watch them if they're televised. I like to follow the English Premier League by watching the show Men in Blazers on NBC Sports Network. Rarely do I watch an actual game, and I've not adopted a favorite EPL team. I got into cricket via the podcast The Bugle, which was initially hosted by John Oliver and Andy Zaltzman. I had seen Oliver on The Daily Show, but I had never heard of Zaltzman. I thought both of them were hilarious and brilliant, and I never missed an episode. Andy would mention cricket once in a while during the show, but I didn't know what cricket was then, so it didn't register. In one episode, though, Andy outed himself as a super cricket fan. He and John were doing a bit, and John asked Andy a question, and there was a pause. And John finally called out Andy by asking, Are you listening to the cricket? And Andy sheepishly replied that he was. I was shocked that a professional comedian running a podcast would admit that he found something more fascinating that he would rather be paying attention to than the podcast while he was doing it. I had to see what this thing was. I heard them mention that the match was 
called The Ashes, and by the power of Google and YouTube, I found a feed and started trying to make sense out of it. It didn't take long for me to understand why Andy was so engrossed in it. I watched what was left of the 2010 Ashes and quickly moved on to the T20s and ODIs and any cricket I could find. By 2015, I was a full-time Willow subscriber and rarely missed an important match of any kind. To describe what I love about cricket is complicated, but it should be self-evident to anyone listening to this. Like baseball, it's a bat and ball game played on a beautifully mown green grass field in front of a cheering crowd and involves runs and outs and fielding and throwing and hitting. These are all the things that I can relate to in my bones. And to see this whole other world I didn't know about, where these same things are a part of it, but in a completely different way, was instantly fascinating. Once I understood the main laws, I could see how the strategy and the tactics were endlessly complex and engrossing. I like the idea of one team scoring a bunch of runs and the other team chasing that total. I mean, who doesn't love a chase? thousand Hollywood directors can't be wrong. I like that you could try to shortcut the chase or the initial accumulation of runs by hitting fours and sixes, but that doing so left you more open to getting out, and that getting out had a stark finality to it, meaning such risk-taking was not to be entered into lightly. I enjoyed hearing the commentators talk about the fielding positions with all the crazy names and how the captains would arrange the fielders so that the bowler could bowl to the field and how that didn't always work. So many of the visuals and sounds of the game are a delight. I like the thump of the ball on the willow when the ball is hit in the center of the bat, the clickety-clack of the stumps and the bales when the batsman is clean bowled. I'll never tire of the satisfaction of the ball skimming along the surface and making contact with the triangular foam boundary rope and popping into the air. I love the how's that of the LBW appeal and the arc of the six disappearing into the stands, the sliding of a fielder stopping a ball from hitting a boundary, the headlock dive of a batsman making his ground, and all the various hand signals of the umpires. It's all wonderful. I can't get enough. And then the numbers. The numbers are almost like heaven to an engineer like me. Runs made, wickets taken, balls delivered, runs remaining versus balls remaining, run rate, required run rate, strike rate, economy, maidens, and then every more advanced stat off of those. I love it all. Once I learned the teams and the players, that really completed my ability to relate to the game the way I do the American sports. I know Virat Kohli is the Indian captain and MS Dhoni plays for Chennai Super Kings and Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad are the England fast bowlers and Rashid Khan is the greatest T20 spin bowler and Imran Tahir has a great wicket celebration and Shahid Afridi's nickname is Boom Boom. It all starts to fit in with what I already know and it all becomes part of the larger sports palette with its own special colors and tones. That takes us to segment two, the recent cricket pass. Obviously, I have to say something about the World Cup final, although you know, what more is there to say? It was the greatest game of anything I've ever seen. I was just heartbroken for New Zealand. They lacked the resources of England, and they were playing in front of a hostile crowd at Lords. They hung in there, and they battled them and to the absolute end and came away with a tie. I mean, to lose on boundaries was absolutely brutal. Congratulations to England for winning, though. I mean, they had to hang in there through a lot of adversity and get to that point. Even though they, they won by a tiebreaker, they, they did win. I think it should never have come down to tiebreakers and shouldn't have to in the future. More super overs is the obvious answer, and I hope the ICC adopts this. I'm currently watching the Global T20 Canada and the 2019 Ashes, the India Tour of West Indies, which started in Florida, and the rest of the Vitality Blast. It's a busy time for cricket, and I'll have to switch back and forth between the Astros' pennant chase and the Patriots' first few games and these other events. The Global T20 Canada has been fun with an insane amount of sixes and lots of 200-plus chases, although it's disappointing that the players aren't being paid, as we found out yesterday. Uh, the aforementioned Boom Boom has been a joy to watch. Uh, I'm very partial to the Vitality Blast, but there's no contract in the U.S. this year, which is very disappointing. I'm 
hoping something will be in place by the time the finals day happens, because I hate to miss that. The India West Indies T20s in Lauderhill was a whitewash. India won all three, but it was nice to see the big crowds. These games slipped under the radar again in the larger U.S. sports culture, which seems like a lost opportunity to me, but BCCI has historically not seemed to care what I think. Uh, segment three, what does this remind you of? We'll only do one this week, the World Cup final, since it's still high in everybody's minds. For me, this final has a couple of analogs in my personal sports history. On the New Zealand side, it reminds me a little bit of when the Mets lost the 2015 World Series. In July, they had no business thinking they'd be in the postseason at all, let alone the World Series. But they picked up Ioannis Cespedes at the trade deadline, and he and Daniel Murphy went completely bonkers there down the stretch, and they won the division. Murphy kept it up in the playoffs, and then after the Cubs were swept, I thought they were going to win it all. Losing game one after Alex Gordon tied the game in the ninth was a crippling blow, and then they fell down three games to one with Matt Harvey needing to win game five to keep them in it. When Harvey went back out to pitch the ninth inning, I knew it was a bad idea. <laughs> I sat there dumbfounded as the season fell apart with Lucas Duda throwing the ball away in the ninth for the tying run. The Mets never really had a chance in that series, though, and lost it to a much better and well-rounded team, so I can't really say that I can fully empathize with what New Zealand went through. The other analog on the England side was Game 6 of the 1986 World Series. Of course, this wasn't the last game. It was, the Mets still had to win another one. But they seemed completely dead. Two out, nobody on in the 10th, and trailing by two. To come from behind at that point with so many crazy and memorable plays does feel a little bit like what England fans must have experienced. Except the Mets did actually score more runs in that game. <laughs> I have to get that in. Okay, so that's the three segments. Now for the Super Overs. My super over this week is, what exactly happened at that 1844 match between the USA and Canada? Nobody ever talks about the scorecard or any of the details. The game was played at the St. George's Club Ground in Manhattan, which is near what is now 30th and 31st Streets in Broadway. In that area now, there's a Dunkin' Donuts, a Hyatt Herald Square, and Party Queen Hair, which advertises virgin human hair, bundles, and extensions. Canada won the game by 23 runs. The U.S. won the toss and elected to bowl. Canada scored 82 runs in their first innings, led by 12s from David Winkworth, George Sharp, and a guy named only Freeling. We don't have a record of his first name. Henry Groom and Sam Wright were the only U.S. bowlers, with Groom taking three wickets and Wright taking five. Winkworth was run out. I'm assuming it was a comedy run out because, you know, why not? And poor George Philpotts, Canada's wicketkeeper, managed to hit his own wicket. The U.S. answered with 63, with U.S. Captain Robert Tinson leading all U.S. scorers with a whopping 14. Winkworth and Fred French each took four wickets. There was also an uncredited LBW and a stumping by Phil Potts. Canada extended their lead with 63 in their second innings. Winkworth led the scoring with 14. Groom took five wickets. Wright took four, and there was an LBW. The U.S. had the game in their sights. They were only trailing by 81, but they fell for 53 on the third day after Rain had postponed the match by a day. James Turner matched the previous high score by any batsman in the game with 14. Winkworth and French only took a wicket each, and Sharp was brought in as the third bowler and took a stunning six wickets, an excellent change of tactics by the Canadians. Tinson was LBW'd and George Wheatcroft forgot to show up for the second innings, and he was declared out absent. I guess no one told him they had resumed the game on the third day until it was too late. When he got there, 20 minutes after the ninth wicket, the U.S. team argued at length that he should bat. He was the U.S. number three, but Canada did not allow it. 20 minutes late, 18 runs short. 
Maybe that should be the name of this podcast. Some more tidbits from the game, thanks to ESPN Crick Info's Martin Williamson. Winkworth eventually played for the U.S. against Canada in 1846. He was the first ever player to switch international sides. The first day was scheduled to start at 10 a.m., but didn't start until 11.40, which has appeared to start a long tradition of U.S. cricket games never starting on time. The Canadian team had to travel first by boat up the St. Lawrence River and Lake Champlain, and then by train on a train with no dining car. So a rough trip for them. An estimated $100,000 was bet on the game, about $2 million in today's money. Canada beat the U.S. two more times in 1845, and the U.S. and Canada officially played a draw in 1846. ESPN Info describes the end of that game, and I quote, With the score at 13-3 in the Canada second innings, John Hellowell hit the ball into the air, and thinking he could charge the bowler to prevent him from catching the ball, knocked Samuel Dudson to the ground. The latter, on recovering, ran and threw the ball at Hellywell. He was subdued by his teammates and apologized to the batsman, but the Canadians refused to continue the game. This, this sounds very much like that playoff game between the Blue Jays and the Rangers in 2015 when Jose Bautista flipped his bat. At least the Rangers didn't quit and go home, and that game had a result. So there it is, the first episode of 1844. Did you like it? Subscribe and leave us a comment on Apple iTunes or on the comment page at 1844 Cricket. Do you want to be a guest? Even better. Contact me via Twitter DM at Tim Lowell, and we'll see what happens. Over.